Pashas Truma contains Hakadosh Baruch Hu's instructions to the Jewish people to collect resources they would need to build the Mishkan and then to build the Mishkan, the tabernacle, the structure itself, the beams and boards that were the walls, the hangings, the roof hangings, the paroches, the curtain hangings, masach, the and also of course the vessels that went into the Mishkan, the Aron, the Ark of the Covenant, the Menorah, the candelabrum. The two altars, the altar that was in the Mishkan, the Mizbech Azov, the golden Mizbech, they, they used to offer Kataras, the external Mizbech that was in the Chatzar, the courtyard, called the Mizbech HaNechoshes, Mizbech HaChitzon, the Shulchan, the table that had the Lachma Panam on it, the special bread. The, uh, when the Torah describes the construction of these vessels, so one word appears repeatedly in the discussion, and that is Vitzipisa you shall cover it or plate it. The Aron, the Aron was built with Ateshitim, it was covered with gold, you cover it with gold inside and outside, there were three boxes according to Chazal, and an inner box which was gold, an intermediate box which was wood, an outer box of gold, so that the gold covered the wood inside and outside. The Aron was carried using poles, the poles were attached to the Aron with rings, and the people carried the poles on the shoulders, they made the badim, where again were wood, were atzeshitim. But the once again, they were covered with gold. The shulchan, the table, it was made of atzeshitim again, shitim wood. But the tar, covered with gold. Shulchan also had rings and poles through the rings, covered with poles, and they were carried with poles. Again, the badim were made of atzeshitim, but they were covered with gold. End of the parasha discusses the mizbeach and the Kaprim's back, the external back that was in the courtyard, the Chatzir was used to offer the Karbanos. Again, it was made of Ateshitim, Vitsipiso Sarnachoshis, it was covered with copper. It also had it also had rings and poles and, and poles used to carry it. The poles again were Ateshitim, Vitsipiso Sarnachoshis, and they were covered with copper. Next week's Parsha, Parsha's Tetzave, we have the Mizbech Hazav, the golden Mizbech, inside the Mishkan was used smaller and used just for Kataris. Again, it was made of ateshitim, v'tipiso so zav tar, it was covered with gold. Again, it had rings and it had poles used to carry it. V'tipiso sabadim ateshitim, it had poles. And v'tipiso sam zav, and they were covered with gold. So pretty much every single major keli in the Mishkan was wood covered with gold. The one exception being the menorah. The menorah was pure gold, solid gold through and through. And the kiar, which was copper. But all the other major kalim, the aron, the ark, the, the menorah, the candelabrum, the shulchan, the table, both altars, were all made of wood and covered with gold or copper in the case of the Mizbech and the Choshis. The question is why? Why weren't they made of gold or metal through and through? So, various suggestions. You can say that gold is expensive. There wasn't that much of it. Maybe to make it all of gold, they simply didn't have enough gold. Maybe We'll discuss later a little bit about how much gold they actually had in the Mishkan for the Mishkan. They stopped, they stopped accepting donations after a while because they had enough. Maybe, maybe had they needed more, maybe they could have gotten more. Maybe you'll say that gold is not a great material. They had more than they needed. Right. It says that even more than they needed, and then they stopped. But maybe had they needed even more, they would have collected till they had even more than that. Yeah, I, I don't know. Right. Uh, what Was the actual available gold a limiting factor or not? Hard to know. Anyway, another suggestion might be, right, so they had more than they needed. So another suggestion might be that gold is not a great material for structure, for, uh, not a great structural material. Pure gold is very soft. Even in jewelry, they typically use, alloy it with other metals to make it stronger and uh, more stable. Maybe gold, maybe, maybe it's not practical to make kalim out of gold. Tosfus, though, the Bali Tosfus and their commentaries to the Torah give a different reason why the, these kalim were not made of pure metal. Tosfus says, really, it should have been all gold. That would have been logically what you'd expect. Ro'ihaya. It should have been pure gold. Why wasn't it? The Aaron was to be carried manually on people's shoulders. It would have been too heavy. And Mizbech Hazav as well. It was, he starts with the Aaron. He says the same thing applied to Mizbech Hazav. The Kashbar who said, make it Ateshitim, cover with gold. Same thing Mizbech Hanachoshes. Same thing we said was the Shulchan as well. Because all these Kalim were carried on the shoulder, by shoulders. And, and they didn't want, Hashem didn't want it to be too heavy. The basic idea that, it, that this is based on, of course, a pasuk in, in Parshas Naso, 
the beginning of Bamidbar describes all the, the families, the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes, and the fa- Shevet Levi, and the three families of Levi, Gershon, Kassim, Arari. All those three families were each assigned, they each had a duty to carry certain parts of the Mishkan and its, and its Kalim. So Merari carried the, the, the really heavy stuff, the, the, the Krushim, the boards, and the, and the Amudim, and Gershon carried the textiles, the, the, the ones on the roof, and then the hangings of the Chatzar. The Chatzar was basically pillars, pillars every few amas with uh, textiles forming a fence, and so on. And Kahas carried the Caleb. Kahas carried the Aram, the Shulchan, the Menorah, the Mizbachos, and so on. And the Torah describes in Parshas Naso, so Naso, the Nesim, made donations of various things, including wagons and oxen. They, they, they made donations to be used to carry the Mishkan. So the, the Psukim describe how the oxen and wagons were allocated among the three families of Levi. There were six wagons pulled by 12 oxen. Each, 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 one had, each wagon had a pair of oxen pulling it. So Merari, who had the heaviest stuff, got four wagons and eight oxen. <coughs> Gershon, who had the textiles not as heavy, they got the remaining two wagons and the remaining four oxen. And then it says that Kahas, Kahas, Lona son, he did not give any wagons or oxen to the family of Kahas. They had the holy work, the sacred work of carrying the Aaron and all the other Kalim of the, of the Mishkan. They carried them personally on their shoulders. So they didn't need wagons, they didn't need oxen. This is, as a matter of fact, this is actually a mitzvah. We'll discuss this in more detail soon. This is actually a mitzvah. It's one of the Tariq mitzvahs, according to the Rambam and the Sefer Achenach and the Smag. This is one of the 613 mitzvahs, to, a mitzvah say to carry the Aron on, 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 the, on the shoulder and not, apparently not, to put it on wagons. So that's what Tosa says, that because it had to be a very, as, as we've discussed in the past many times, the Balitosis, on the one hand, they, were, they, they weren't approaching Chumash with an ideology, they weren't philosophers, they, they, they weren't influenced by other cultures. On the other hand, they were very interested in Pshat, and they were fascinated by the simple and straightforward reading of the text. And this is what Tosa says in the Dasikane in the Balei Atosus and the Pirush Atosus Alatara, that the, it was to avoid making the Kalim too heavy. Metal, gold for sure, is much, much heavier, much denser than wood. And therefore, it had to be made of wood and not gold to avoid it being too heavy. Now, Tosis raises an interesting, maybe another one of the Tosafa scholars, raises an interesting objection to this chat. There's a Gemara, we'll discuss the Gemara in more detail soon, Tosefta and a Gemara. The Gemara says, Aron noseis nosef, that the Aron carried those who were apparently carrying it. It was actually the reverse. The Aron carried the people who were trying to carry it. So if the Aron has its own source of, uh, of levitation and, and mobility, then it, it's an ace anyway. It doesn't matter how heavy it is. Not doesn't have to be aerodynamically and uh, designed on using engineering principles. So why did it have to be carryable then? Says Tosis, that was not the norm. That was an exception. In one particular circumstance, there was an ex- there's one time the Aron carried itself. Generally, the Aron needed to be carried by human beings. We'll discuss what that one case was in a moment. Then Tosis asks further, if this is the case that the Aron generally needed to be carried, it was only in, in one exceptional, unique, circum- unique circumstance that it carried itself, then why was Uzzah punished? We'll discuss who Uzzah was and why he was punished in a moment. But Sarachion. So anyway, this is the approach of Tosis. We'll discuss the, these points in more detail in a moment. This is the approach of Tosis that the Aron was generally carried by human beings, and they had to actually support it, and therefore it had to be manageable, it had to be carryable, and that's why it was wood and not gold. What is this discussion of Aron Nosias Nosav and Lefisha and Uza? What is all this about? This is a Tosefta, and it's amplified upon in the Bavli, in Masech Sota. The context is when the Jews crossed the river Yardin, the Jordan River, to enter Eretz Canaan and begin the conquest of the land of Eretz, of Eretz Israel. So it says that they crossed the Yardin in a great miracle, splitting of the Yardin, an echo of the splitting of the sea by Moshe Rabbeinu. So we studied this in our Navi class recently. So it says that the, what happened was the Kohanim carried the Aaron. Back then it was Kohanim at that point. It says that they, they entered the Yardin. And as soon as the Kohanim stepped into the Yardin carrying the Aron, the river stopped. The, the downstream water flowed off, but the upstream water stopped flowing down, began to pile up in a giant uh, column of water. And 
the riverbed was empty and all the Jews crossed. After the Jews finished crossing the Yardane, it says, Tosefta says, once the last Jew left the Yardane and emerged on the other side, they were crossing from east to west, so once the last Jew of the, once the last of the Jewish people emerged on the west side of the Yardane, the river of the Yardin then returned to its former, its former path. The Pasuk says it began to flow as it had previously done. The Kohanim ended up on the, wrong, on the, on the far side of the Yardin. All the, the Jews were crossing from east to west, from the Avera Yardin on the east over to the west side to Eretz Yisrael proper. The, all of Israel crossed, and then the Kohanim, the Tosefta is telling us the Kohanim stepped backward out of the, of the Yardin, back to the east side where they had come from, the opposite side of Klal Yisrael, and then the Yardin crossed and divided them. How did the Kohanim rejoin the, the nation? Nasa Aranus, Nasa of the Aran lifted them up and swooped them across and deposited the Kohanim down on the other side. So a second nace, a marvelous nace, besides the splitting of the Yardin. <coughs> following that nace, we had an encore, a second nace. The Aron flew over the, the Kohanim to the other side of the Yardin. Yes? Did they make a why did the Kohanim leave on the... David is asking, why did the Kohanim leave on the east side and not the west side? An excellent question, and we'll turn to that question soon. The Bavli, the Bavli elaborates a little bit on the story. It says that when the Kohanim left the Yardin, it says, Vahiba, the Pasuk says in Yoshua, Vahiba, losa Kohanim, nosi armbrus Hashem itoch yardin. when the Kohanim, those who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, when they left the Yardin, nitiku kapas raglakvadam elacharava, their feet left the Yardin back to dry land, Yeshuva me'a yardin, and the river began to flow again. And the, the Bavli says, Nimtza, we find the same thing, Arav and Nosa, the Kohanim, the Kohanim were on the, on the east, the Yisrael, the Yisrael was on the west, Nosa, Aranus, Nosav. That's what the Pasuk means when it says that after the whole nation crossed, then the Aron and the, and the Kohanim passed Lofnei Ha'am. Kipshuto, you would think that just means they were behind because everyone crossed the yard and they left last. They were behind, they had to cross to get, they had to just march to the front. But the, the Bavli understands, the Sefta understands, they were on the wrong side of the yard, the, the far side of the yard, they passed over the yard to end up back in front of the people. That's what the Bavli says. And then the Bible continues, This is the reference to Uzzah. Uzzah was a tragedy mentioned in, mentioned in, 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 uh, in Sefer Shmuel and in Divrei Yamim. It says that there was a time, hundreds of years later, in the time of David HaMelech, they were carrying the Aron from someplace called Kiryas Yarim toward Yerushalayim. And it says that they, that they had loaded... Sorry? This was the beginning of the installation of the toad to the base of Mikdash. Right, right. This, 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 right, this was a major event. The Aron had been returned by the Plishtim. After it had been captured by Plishtim. Hashem had caused it to make their lives miserable. They eventually saw they had to return it, so they returned it. And then eventually David said, we have to, we have to bring the Aron to Yerushalayim. This, as, 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 as David's saying, we, we have to, uh, this was David's plan to, to build the base of Mikdash, the base of Bechira in Yerushalayim. It, it didn't happen the way he wanted. This particular event got derailed, as we'll see, and Dovin himself didn't merit building the base of Mikdash. This was, this was the beginning of that. This was the beginning of the establishment of Yerushalayim as the Makma Mikdash. So it says, on the way, it says, while they were transporting the Aron, so the Aron they had loaded onto wagons. It says they put it on wagons, and then it says, at one point in the trip, Vayishlach Uzzah Asyadu. Uzzah was involved in carry, Uzzah was involved in overseeing the transportation of the Aron, along with someone else. And Uzzah, it says, he stretched out his hand, Lechuzas Aron, to grab the Aron. And he did that because it says, Kisham to Abakar, because the, the cattle, some, something went wrong, the, the, the cattle had slipped, it, it looked like it was going to fall. So Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the Aron, and Uzzah was struck dead by Hashem. Uzzah struck him down. Hashem Hashem was angry at Uzzah. Hashem smote him, and he died, and it was a great tragedy. David was very upset, it says, that the Simcha was, was, was badly marred. Why was Uzzah punished? What was Uzzah's mistake? So the Gemara says, Uzzah should have understood. <coughs> the Aaron can carry people. He can carry the Kohanim across the Yardin. You don't have faith. You don't have respect for the Aaron <coughs> that it can take care of itself. You're, 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 you're belittling the Aaron by implying that it needs you to help it, that it can't, it can't handle itself. So Uzzah was punished for being disrespectful to the Aaron because he should have, he forgot the rule that Aaron no say is no say. So going back to the Tosis, Tosis, the, the one time in history where the Gemara says explicitly it was Noseus Nosov is about the Yardin, when they crossed the Yardin. Tosis is not sure whether it routinely carried as Nosov or that was an exceptional, unique circumstance. 
Tosus initially says, well, if that happened all the time, then again, why does it matter if the iron was made of wood or gold? Who cares how heavy it was if it was carrying those who carried it? Tosus proposes that that was a one-time thing. It only happened then. It didn't happen in general like that. But then Tosus asks, why was Uzzah punished? If, if that was just a one-time miracle at the, at the time of the Yardim, which was one of the greatest miracles in history, it was meant to show the, the Jewish people that you know, Hashem says that I'm going to show the people that, that I'm with you like with Moshe, just like Moshe split the sea, you split the Yardin. That was a once-in-history once once event, the splitting of the Yardin. Twice in history, the Yamsuf, the Yardin. It didn't happen every day like that, so then why... That's what Tosa is asking. So then why was Uzzah punished for, for, for not knowing? Aaron knows yes, no stuff. That was a one-time thing. This implies that the Aaron routinely would have the power of no say yes, no stuff. If so, why did it have to be uh, so light? So the Maral, the Maral Miprag, in his Chidushi Agadah, in his commentary to the Agadah, the Maral agrees in principle to Tosus <coughs> that the Aaron in general was not no say yes, no stuff. The Aaron in general was uh, behaved like ordinary matter and had to be carried. He agrees to Tosus' basic idea that this was a one-time thing. It happened in the time of, on special occasions. But this time of the procession of the Aaron toward Yerushalayim was also a special occasion. The morale explains, I don't fully understand it, the morale is long, and he, and he uses morale concepts and terminology which I'm not really conversant in. But the morale explains that, when, that the, whenever there was a, a special revelation of the, of the power of the Aaron, which is like a soul and a body, the, the, the animating force of the... Of the that that that, w- that whenever there was a special occasion like this, a gili of the of the power of the aron, then the aron had this power to carry itself. So at the time of the splitting of the yardin, the aron had just split a river. Everyone saw the the, the power of the kedusha of the aron. Then the aron had this power to be no nosef. Similarly, in the time of Uzzah, in the time of David Melech, the aron had manifested its power in uh, in, in bringing calamity on the plishtim. It, it forced them to. To, to, you know, to come back with their tail between their legs and give the Aaron back to us after they, they had won the war and captured it and now they had to ad- admit defeat that the Aaron was too powerful for them and they had to return it to the Jewish people. That also was an example where the Aaron was manifesting its great power, the power of Hashem. And at those occasions, the Aaron could carry, could carry itself, even Nosev and certainly itself. In general, though, the Aaron was inert. In general, on a day-to-day basis, the Aaron was, was not Nosev, Nosev. But on these special occasions, both the time of the Yardin and this time of the Plishtim, it had this power. So the morale agrees in principle to Tosfus. He just says that it, it, it extended not just to the time of the Yardin. It also would have applied, had, had it been necessary, in this time of Dovna, Melch, and Uzzah as well. But that's the approach of Tosfus and the morale, that it was not generally nosius nosov, only on very special occasions. Now, contemporary thinkers, other, I'm not sure if, they, if, they're, if there's really uh, old, venerable sources for this, but traditional sources seem to take, some modern writers seem to take Chazal at face value, that the Aaron was always no CS, no sub. So they ask, so then, then, then why do they need poles? You know, why do they have to make it light? And so on. So some of them suggest that, this is a modern approach, some of them suggest, I've seen that a person has to make, this is, I guess, a Musser idea, a person has to make the initial effort. A person has to show, has to, has to actually go through carrying the Aaron. Once he does, the Aaron then reciprocates and can carry you and can do things like that. But you have to start. It doesn't, it doesn't come free. You have to first go through the process of carrying the Aaron once you do that, then the Aaron has the power to add and to carry you across the river and so on. But without, without the human input, without the, the Zorus Telesata, so to speak, but without you doing your part, the Aaron is not just going to start from zero and then carry you. So initially, they have to be able to carry it. I think so. I think, I, any short amount of time. I think that's what some contemporary scholars suggest, uh, some contemporary writers suggest. They have to begin by carrying it and doing a, a human effort of carrying. Once they did, the Aaron then could provide additional aid and, and so on. All right, but th- that's, I think, a more modern approach. I didn't see any really early source for this. The traditional approach, as I said, the two traditional sources I've seen, Tosis and the Morale, both say that the, the Aaron did not generally carry itself only on, only on these very special occasions. Now, we should note that even though this is the pshat, this is the approach of, of Chazal, Rashi brings this uh, in his Pirush to Yeshua, that the Kohanim left the Yardin on the east side and then had to be flown over by the Aaron, this is not the simple reading of the Psukim. As the Moral himself notes, he says the Pashtanim, the Mefarshi Apshat, do not learn like Chazal. The Pashtanim learn the Kohanim left on the west side of the Yardin, following Kalal Yisrael like, like everyone else did. Because, as the Radak points out at length, I'm not sure who else the Moral has in mind, but I, I saw the Radak. But the Radak himself, as we discussed in our Navi Shir, points out, the Radak is very, very puzzled by this Chazal. He says, there is no indication in the Psukim of any sort of, uh, of, of this idea that the Kohanim left on the east side. Where did Chazal get this from, the Kohanim? David was asking before, why did they leave on the east side? 
And the Radak is asking, why did Chazal think they left on the east side? There, there's simply no indication of the Pesukim. It says they left the Yard and then the water crashed back down. So why would, where is there any indication that the Galanim left on the, on the east side, on the, on the far side of the, on the far side of the Yard? Rashi reads various Pesukim. Rashi reads this idea into various Pesukim. Rashi says, Rashi explains the Diyakis, it says, Vayalum in a Yardin. The Kohanim ascended from the Yardin. It doesn't say Vayavru, it doesn't say they crossed the Yardin. It says Vayalu, which Rashi says implies they left on the same side they had come. It doesn't say why they did that. Maybe that was instructions from Hashem to, to magnify the nace. It doesn't say. But, uh, but, uh, but they, 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 they left on the same side without crossing the Yardin. When they originally entered the Yardin, the implication... That Rashi also points out when they originally entered the Yardin, the implication is that they didn't go very far in. It says as soon as their feet were dipped into the water, the Yardin split. The implication is, and they started right then. Apparently they stopped there and they stood there. So it says, and they, they, they stood on the edge of the water and they, and they, stood, they stood right there. As soon as they entered and the water split, they stood. And then it says, they came back out. So according to Rashi, it never says the Kalanim crossed the Yardin. So the implication is they just stepped in and stepped right back out. That's how Rashi learns following Chazal, following, the, following this Gemara, this Tasefta. Radak is very unhappy with this, as I said. Radak brings the Midrash, as he often does, and he says, and he Drash, I'm, I'm, I'm baffled by this Midrash, he says, what pushed them to say this? Not the Psukim, certainly, he says. The Psukim are perfectly, uh, perfectly coherent, explaining Kipshutu, uh, that they left on the west side, like everyone else. He says, he says that the he says, he says, even if we say that they, that, that they entered the that they entered the, the Arden on the east side, but uh, that, but, but he says, but, but he says, once the Jewish people left, Aaron called them to the to the far side of the Arden. Why say they left on the, on the east side? Where did Chazal see this that Israel and the Arden and the, and the Aaron ended up on opposite sides? And why did the Aaron have to do this? And if it wasn't nice, wouldn't the Torah have said this? This is a fundamental point we've discussed in some of our shiurim recently. The Balei Apshat, the Ben Ezra most famously, the Balei Apshat often did not, did not accept Midrashim, Nisim, the Chazal states in Midrashim, if the Nisim aren't explicitly stated in the, in the Psukim. They, they prefer the simple reading of the Psukim as opposed to inter- injecting Nisim. For example, we mentioned Ben Ezra's idea that five of the Makas affected the Jews as well as the Mitzvah, including Makas Dam, not like the famous Midrash about the Jews and the Mitzvah drinking from the same cup with the straws and being blood for the, for the Mitzvah and water for the... Because the Psukim don't say that. The Psukim don't say anything about Hashem distinguishing in Makas Dam between Jew and Egyptian. Only five Makas, beginning with Arov, does the, five of them beginning with Arov, ending with Makas Bacharis, does the Torah say that? Other examples where the Ben Ezra doesn't like the idea that Yocheved was born when they entered Egypt, because that, that, mean, that means she would have been uh, 130 years old when she gave birth to Moshe. So we discussed uh, that the Ramban pushes back very, very, very hard against this, but the Balei Pshat typically, w- one of the themes, one of the motifs of Pshat is that they, they follow the literal reading of the Psukim, and in particular, they, they often don't like uh, introducing Nisim into the Psukim, where the, where, because the Pasuk usually makes a big deal out of, out of advertising Nisim, and to teach us Amuna and so on. For there to be incredible nisim like this, that the Torah completely doesn't mention to you or hints at at best, the Radak is very unhappy. He says, the the the, the Radak is very unhappy that he says that he says uh, where did Chazal get this from? He goes back and forth on this. But at the end of the day, he doesn't really have he doesn't really have. Uh, he says, he says, even if they left on the same side, of the, let's say you say they both left on the same side, maybe, so, so, so maybe, so maybe the Aaron had to fly them forward to catch up. Even that, he says, why say that? I mean, the Jews could have waited until the Aaron caught up. You don't have to say that the Jews kept going and the Aaron zoomed them ahead. You could just say that they, they waited. They just waited till the, till the Aaron caught up, or is another interpretation of the Psukim. So he feels that, uh, it, fundamentally, without getting down into the technical details of the Psukim, fundamentally he has two or three basic problems with Chazal. First of all, None of what they say is evident in the Psukim, that there's no reason not to read the Psukim Kipshuto. Second, it's the Derech Psukim to advertise Nisim, to, to, to teach us Emunah and so on. Why would the Torah omit such a great nace? We also have the question that David asked before, why, why was this necessary, the, a nace for no reason? We show them often object to Nisim that don't seem to have a point. Sometimes we find, like Hashem said to the Jews in, in, uh, in the beginning of Shemot, that I'm making the Nisim at least partly to, to, to teach everyone a lesson about the power of Hashem. You should tell your children uh, that which uh, tell about God's great power to do whatever he wants. I guess you can argue that was the purpose of the nace, just to make a demonstration of the Yad Hashem. Okay, so the Radak doesn't really understand all this, and he has all these questions, he has no answers. And then the Radak, though, in the very last line, though, 
he, he graciously concedes to Chazal's greater wisdom. He says, They said what they said. They knew what they were saying, he says. They, they must have had some reason. Their, their, their knowledge, their wisdom is broader than ours, he says. So I defer to Chazal, even though, uh, even though I don't understand it at all, he says, and, and, and even though I'm kind of bewildered by what they did over here. This is actually an approach that Radak has often. The Radak is one of the great Balei Apshat. He often does explain things Kipshuto. But as I said, he often does bring Midrashim as well. And he often does bring Midrashim. And in particular, the, 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 the Radak is reluctant to flatly disagree with Chazal. At the end of the day, Chazal, he, 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 he articulates, unlike Latay Ben Ezra, who is often very quick to disagree with Chazal in terms of Pshat, the Radak had a, had a certain deference for Chazal, even though he's, he's sometimes very baffled by some of the things Chazal did, some of the things Chazal said often, sometimes at least, at the end of the day, he says that Chazal said it, and therefore Chazal's wisdom, we, 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 should, uh, we should defer to Chazal's wisdom. Okay. So, going back to, the, to what Tosa says, that the Aaron had to be light because they had to carry it. As I mentioned earlier, the Rambam and the Sefer Chinuch and the Smag all count this mitzvah to carry the Aaron on the shoulder. But interestingly enough, they all mention it specifically about the Aaron, specifically about the Aaron, not about the other Caleb. Rambam, both in Sefer Mitzvahs and in the Yad HaZaka, the Mishnah Torah, he says when they carried the Aaron, we don't carry it uh, on a behemoth, on wagons, we don't, we, we don't carry it on, on, on animals, on wagons. Mitzvah is to take it on your shoulder. That's why David was punished for, for carrying it on a wagon. Mitzvah to carry it by, on your shoulders, because that's what the Pasuk says in Pasuk's Nasa. Incidentally, the, the Mepharshim asked, what, the Gemara itself really asked the question, and later Mepharshim as well, what was David thinking? How could he have done this? It's an explicit pasuk. Every schoolchild knows this, the Gemara says, that, you, that you, don't, you don't carry the art on a wagon. You carry it on your shoulders. Why did David put it on a wagon in the first place? The Gemara says, Hashem made him do it. Hashem caused him to make this mistake. It was a punishment. It says that David said a pasuk that we might think is a beautiful pasuk, but David, the, the Gemara thinks otherwise. The, the David says, Zmiros David referred to the Torah as Miros. The, the language of the pasuk is, your chukim, your laws, were songs to me in, the, in my habitations. Sounds like a nice sentiment, but the Gemara says he was punished. Hashem said, that's how you refer to Torah, as songs. That's what the Torah is. The Torah is so ethereal. You, your eyes stray from the Torah for a minute and it's gone. It's so, it's so deep. It's, so, it's, so, uh, it's, uh, it's, such a, it's such a difficult and... Uh, and, and, and <laughs> And uh, difficult thing to understand Torah, to grasp Torah. He says, "You're calling them as miras. You're not respecting the Torah properly. You're not properly revering and respecting the Torah. I will cause you to stumble in something so elementary. Even school children know it." Pasuk said, "With Nekas, Lona, Son, no wagons, because they're supposed to carry on the shoulders, and you're going to make a mistake about it. So take the Torah a little more seriously. Give it a little more respect." Okay. So the Gemara says it was a punishment to David. It was a reprimand for not taking the Torah seriously. The Radak has another pshat. The Radak says that the, the the Radak says that it was only a commandment in the time. David thought it was only a commandment in the time of the midbar, in the time of the midbar, because the since the whole Mishkan was carried on wagons, they wanted to distinguish and carry the Aaron on shoulders to show that the Aaron is, is is greater, is on a higher level than the rest of the Mishkan. There's no when there was no Mishkan at that time. There was no Mishkan. Uh, they, they thought that they, you can carry it on a wagon as well because it isn't, it, we aren't making a distinction between the Mishkan and uh, a, a mobile Mishkan and, uh, and an Aaron. So he thought it wasn't as important. But Zeshagat, he was wrong. But, but that, that, was at, that, was at least, that, that, that was at least his thought process. That, the, that, that, was, that was at least his thought process. But that's why at least it wasn't a totally elementary mistake. My son Simcha told me that he read in the Midrash says that they brought, I think it was the Midrash says, they brought from the Adaris Elio of the Vilna Gaon, I didn't have a chance to look it up yet, the, the Vilna Gaon says that, that, another explanation of what David's mistake was, he says that, 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 that they thought, that he thought, David thought in the time of the Mishkan, where they were on a higher Madrega, before you read the Sadaros, the Levim were great Sadiqim, they were so far superior to animals that the Ara needed to be carried by human beings and not by animals. In our time, David thought people are, have, 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 have degenerated. Uh, you read it to Darius. They're not so much better. Most of them are I guess. We're, we're not so much better. Obviously, we're better than animals, but we're, we're, we're still on a different level. David thought, mistake, again, it was a mistake, obviously, but David thought 
that, 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 that I, I think I think he agrees it was a mistake, but the, the David thought it wasn't so important in his time to to have humans carry it. But be that as it may, whether it was just Hashem punishing him, whether we have these explanations for he made for, for what he did, he made a mistake. He put it on he put it on, uh, on, on on wagons rather than shoulders, and he was punished. But as I said, no, it's noteworthy that the Rambam and the Sefer Achinach and the Smag all say that the mitzvah is to carry the Aron. They specifically say the mitzvah is to carry the Aron on shoulders. Menachemach is very puzzled by this. He says that he says the, the Rambam and the Chinuch say this, and the Chinuch says that the reason is kichol ikrik vodenu hi atorah kedosha. Our fundamental honor, the, the, the root of our honor, is the holy Torah. That's why we have to show it respect by carrying it on our shoulders. And again, implying it specific to the Aron. Why would you say that? He says the, the pasuk says Murari carried the Krushim, the boards, and all those things. Gershon carried the textiles. Kahas carried all the Kalim. And it says they don't get any wagons because Avod is the Kodesh Lamechas Viso. The clear reading of the Pasuk is all the Kalim that, that Kahas carried had to be carried on shoulders, not just the Aron. There's no mention of the Aron in the Pasuk. So why would, no specific mention of the Aron, so why would, the, why would all these Yishonim say that the mitzvah is specific to the Aron? He doesn't know. He's a Tzarek. He doesn't, he doesn't really have a Pshat. And as we said, particularly in light of Tosfus, Tosfus says that the reason the Aron had to be, was wood and not solid gold is because it had to be light so it could be carried. And then he says the same thing applies to the Mizbech, and the Shulchan as well, but the same thing applies to the Mizbech. So the Tosfus also is virtually explicit that all the Kalim had to, were being carried by people, not by wagons. And he brings that Pasuk. He says that Pasuk tells you that they had people carry them, and that's why all the Kalim, except the Menorah and the, and the Kiar, were, were, were made of wood. The Tosfus also is virtually explicit that the Pasuk of so applies to all the Kalim, not just the Aron, so the, so, so the language of these other Isharim, Rambam, Sefer and Smag, why they say Aron specifically is, uh, is something of a mystery. So I, I don't know an answer for that. That's, that's the issue. Menorah, I don't believe had Badim, no. I don't think so. I don't think the Torah describes them, and yeah. So moving on to another question involving the weight and wagons of the, of the, of the, of the Mishkan. And that is a question about the, the dimensions and the weight of the Krushim. The Krushim were these very large boards or beams that formed the walls of the Mishkan. The Mishkan was modular. It had, it had, it had 48 Krushim, 20 Krushim on the north side, 20 Krushim on the south side, 8 Krushim on the west side. And the Krushim were all, all fit together. They had, they had different types of beams holding them together and sockets and other types of connecting devices. So it, it, was, it was kind of like a giant uh, Lego set almost. It was, it was a bunch of different pieces, large, heavy pieces that fit together and formed uh, a Mishkan when, it, when, it, when they camped. And when they traveled, they, they took it all apart and they loaded it onto the wagons, Murari's wagons, and they carried it. So how big were the Krushim? So there were 10 Amas tall. That's between 15 and 20 feet tall or so. They were one and a half Amas wide. That's, again, that's between... Uh, that's between about two and a quarter and three feet uh, wide, and they were, and they were, um, and they were unspecified thickness. We're not told how thick they were. The psukim, the psukim at least, psukim say ten tall, one and a half wide. Psukim do not say how thick they were. Chazal say, Gemara says in Shabbos, they were one amma thick, a full amma thick. So that's between one and a half and two feet thick, a very solid piece of wood. Chazal, Rashi brings this in Pashat Shuma, I think. The Chazal have a very... Right, right. David's saying Rashi has an exact calculation that the, that the, that the Krushim were 20 on each side, so that, that was 30, and, uh, the, and, and, and the interior dimensions of the Mishkan were 10 Amas were were, were wide, and the, there were 8 Krushim on the west wall, the Pasuk says. So if there were 8 Krushim on the west wall, to eight, we know they were 1.5 wide, that's explicit. So if the 8 times 1.5 is 12, and there were 10 on the inside. So what happened to the extra, the extra, extra two amos? So Rashi says because the eight, the eight on the far wall, the, the, they, they, they overlapped with, with the crushim on the on the north and south side. So if the north and south sides are one amma thick, that, that subtracted one amma on the north side, one amma on the south side, leaving you with an interior dimension of ten. And that's how the cheshbon worked out with the urias and everything. I don't have all the details in my fingertips, but that, that's the cheshbon of Rashi based on Chazal. The Ibn Ezra is not sure. Ibn Ezra is not sure if the if the Krushim were really an ama, really an, an ama thick or not. He he goes through the calculation in different ways. The Ral Bag says that that, that he brings Chazal. That Chazal Ral Bag was also one of the great Mefarshim Shat. Ral Bag acknowledges that Chazal say they were an ama thick, and he says uh, that, that that they were an ama thick. 
And the Rolbag himself says that they were not so thick. They were, they were much thinner. What's the Rolbag's problem? What's pushing him? It doesn't say, doesn't say exactly what his issue is, but the Rolbag says, why do I prefer to uh, diverge from Chazal and say they were less than an Amethic? The reason is, he says, there were 48 Krushim. They were carried on the wagons. He says, Bremerari had these wagons, he says. How can, the, how can the four wagons carried by eight oxen, how can they carry, how can they carry 48 Krushim, all of which were 10 amas long and one and a half amma wide and one amma thick? That's a humongous amount of weight, he says. Right. Well, we'll calculate the weight in a moment. The Rabag doesn't give actual numbers, but he says it's way too heavy. How could one carry So he doesn't tell you exactly what his... He doesn't say exactly what his, what his question is, but he says... Right, he says there were only four wagons, and there were, the, the weight would have been far too, far too much for it to be carrying these four wagons. Therefore, he prefers to say they were much less than an amethyst, more like boards, not like beams, and that's, that's why the weight was much less. Right, and then, then, then he deals with that question. So, it's, so he deals with that, right? He says the question that Dave was saying before. He said that uh, it, it, says that, it says that there were six crush and plus two corner ones, and a total of eight crushim, and if they were all one and a half wide, then he says, how do the, how do the numbers work out? So, so he says that, he says, it could be some of the crushim, the corner crushim might have been a different dimension, might have, little, might, 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 have been, might have been a little bit smaller, he says. So he says, um, he says, Ebenezer already says this, that you could say that, that the corner crushim were different, the regular crushim were one and a half wide, the corner crushim were a little bit smaller, he suggests. All right. But the, the, the Rabag raises this question, he says that if they were really in Amathic, they would have been way too heavy for the wagons, and therefore, he says he thinks they were less thick. This question of the oh, the math, we're getting to the math. We get to the math in a minute. Did he do the math? He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't give it. If he did it in his head, I don't know. But he just tells you it's too heavy and goes on. Tosis also raises the issue. Was aware that it sounds like it was a very heavy weight. Tosis says forty-eight crushim plus the adunim, the, the metal sockets, plus the amudim and the adnei chutzer. This wasn't all. It was also the, all those pillars that went all the way around the chutzer and the adanim of the chutzer. And there were nine more amudim in the mishkan because there were five, I think, at the door and four for the parochas between the kodesh and the kosher kedushim. Nine more, and, and that he says, and all that was being pulled by eight cattle that were given. Murari had four wagons and eight oxen. All that he says was being pulled by these. Uh, by, 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 the, by, this, by this infrastructure, by, by four wagons and eight, and eight oxen. Parashas Naso, he says. And Chazal say they were an Amathic. He takes for granted that we accept Chazal. So what's the solution, he says? So the Rabag's solution is to make the, the, the one dimension that's not specified, to make it smaller. Tosis' solution is to say it was a very, very lightweight wood. He says, it was a, he says you have to say it was an eight, the eight Tashita, whatever eight Tashita is. We, we don't know exactly what Ateshitim are. We have to say that Ateshitim were a very, very lightweight wood. He says, He says, Like the eights that we call in, I don't know, French, we call it Madra. I tried a little bit playing with Google Translate and so on, figured out what Madra is. I don't know. We think of light wood. We think of maybe cork or balsa wood. Balsa, I think I read, comes from Ecuador, so it's, it's very useful for lightweight applications. It is paper light. Paper light, right. Model, model airplanes and so on. Yes, I don't know if they, I don't know what Madra is. Madra obviously refers to some kind of wood that, that was around in Europe. They had, they had a French name for it, so I don't know what wood he had in mind. But that's Tosa's solution. If, if you can't alter the dimensions to make them smaller, we can alter the density. We can say that, that they were simply, uh, simply a very, very lightweight wood. The Chizkuni, the Chizkuni has a third approach to this question of the weight of the, of the Krushim. The Chizkuni, again, assuming that they were... Uh, he doesn't even get into the dimensions of the crush. He just takes for granted that this is way too heavy, he says. It's, the, it's perfectly right? He says, he, he says, in general, he says, putting Gershom Rory together, putting all the textiles and all the crushim and all the amudim and all the paraphernalia, the, the ropes and the pegs, all of the brichim, the poles, all of that, he says, six wagons, 12 oxen, not going to go, he says. So what's his solution? He says, he quotes a Pasuk. The Pasuk says about the wagons, it says, V'nasata osam, you should give them to the Levium, each one according to his avoda, which Kipshuto just means allocate these six wagons and twelve oxen to the three families as, as per their needs. But the Chizkuni understands the Pasuk means that we can give more, we can go beyond six, six wagons and twelve oxen. Add more if you need more, he says, because twelve oxen is not going to be enough, he says, to carry all this stuff. So he says, you have, so he meant, this is the starting point, but give them whatever they need. So if they, they're going to need more. There's too much stuff here. They're going to need more, so there has to be more than just... An initial delivery. 
Right. This was the initial and delivery, the, 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 the starting point, but uh, this was the, the first installment, but it was instructed to give more as per the need. I, I found a contemporary article by a fellow named Oren Said. I don't know who this is, but he has a, he has a blog called the Taramada blog. He actually runs the numbers, for those who are curious. He, he does a full scientific analysis of, 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 of how much weight was involved and how much they could have pulled. He says, he, his cheshbonus are as follows. I did not check his arithmetic or do the calculations, but he says, he, he makes the cheshbon as follows. He says that, how, did he, how much did each carish weigh? He works with Chazal, 10 amas tall, one and a half amma wide, one, that's a psukim, and one amma thick. So he says, let's first decide how big an amma is. Let's even use the small, the small amma, the, the sheet of Rechaim Noah, who has relatively small ammas, close to 48 centimeters, about a foot and a half. He says, so then, according to, according to Rashi, there the, 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 the were 48 crushim and four wagons. Rashi understands there were 12 crushim per wagon. Others say the crushim span pairs of wagons, but Rashi's cheshman is simple, 12 crushim per wagon. So he says each carriage, he says each wagon would have had a weight of about ten tons. He says, if again, it depends what you was, how, what, what what the weight of sheet of wood is. He says that there are, there are different theories as, as to what exactly sheet of wood is. Some say that ate sheetim are what we call today shita malbina, fade herbia, one kind of tree. That's what Yehuda Felix, Professor Yehuda Felix, the great expert on biblical flora and fauna. He says that the, he says he says the specific weight of. Uh, the, the, the specific um, you know, density of the specific, specific weight of this wood is, 50, is 0.52 centimeters cubed. He, he, gives the, he gives the figure, and he says, uh, and that works out according to the Grachna as Amma to, uh, to, to 10 tons per wagon. He says that's, uh, we'll discuss how, how, how much a shark can pull in a moment, but he says, first the weight. The weight would have been uh, 10 tons per Amma. He says, Tosa says it was a very. This is just a crush. This is just a crush, yeah. He says. He brings Tosus, who already acknowledged the question of the weight, he says, it was very lightweight wood, but again, we don't know what that is exactly, but if you assume it's Shita Malbina, he says it would have been, uh, he says it would have been, uh, Fade Herbia would have been 10 tons. Then he says, how much can a shark pull? So he says, the, the key question of how much weight a shark can pull, he says, he says, it, he, he says, he says there, there are two questions. The, the first question is how much force how much force can a, can, can a shar muster, can a shar bring to bear on its load? The second question is, given amount of force, how much weight can you pull on a wagon? So the second question is going to depend on the friction of the wagon wheels, he says. The first question is how much, and the, the basic question is how much force can a shar generate? So he says in general, the rule, again, I'm trusting him for the science, I have no idea, but he says in general, a shar can pull, he has, he has actually references to, to articles and books on this, I think. The person can pull a huge train is just need to if, if the friction is low enough, you mean? Right. Or if, it, if you get it started, if you can eliminate friction, obviously, right. So, right, so, so the friction is the second. Yeah, so the friction is going to be his next part of the discussion. First he considers, first he calculates the force that he can exert. He says, a shar... You say a freight train that was still, he can get going. I mean, if you pull... In an ideal case where friction is zero... <laughs> So really, the question is what the friction is, right? It's not a well-defined, it's not a well-defined. Right, no, no, he goes through both. First he calculates the force that the force that, that the shark can generate, then he calculates the friction, and then he puts them together to get, to get, to get the answer, right? He goes through both. So the, 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 uh, the, train, the little train that could. Oh, yeah, <laughs> the little engine that could. Right. <laughs> right. So he says, in general, a, a, a living being can, uh, I guess, depends what, you know, what, what size, what, what body plan, but he says a, a balchai in general can provide, can generate force equal to approximately 10% of its weight. He says a single shar can generally generate, he says, can generate approximately 80 kilogram force. That's the, we call it, uh, we call it, you know, pound force, you know, the, 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 the we, we call it... Um, the weight of 80 kilograms. Well, the, the, they, 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 the measurement, the measurement for force they, that they use today is, um, I'll quote it uh, to try, try to get it right. Right, so uh, obviously you have to define your units, you have to specify units, but uh, so in, in, in Israel, Israel, they use, uh, Israel they use kilograms, but in, 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 the, in the imperial system, there's a unit called pound force, LBF or LB. Uh, so pound force, the definition is, the gravitational force exerted on a mass of one average pound on the surface of the Earth. Anyway, it's a measurement of force. 
and 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 in Hebrew in in, in Israel they use kilogram koach, uh, kilogram force. So he says. It's very confusing to my son. What? Try to kilograms and. A kilogram is mass. Right. What they mean is the weight of a mass. Right. Uh, the force generated on on. Well, you can measure it in right, in, in, or or so, Wikipedia, Wikipedia has. We have two physicists here. I know. So Wikipedia has a handy chart. They, they they give five different measures of force: Newton, dyne, kilogram force, or kilopon, pound force, and pound dull. So anyway, you can, you can translate to the appropriate unit that you want. But right, but, but it's not a, not a measure of mass. It's not a measure of weight. It's a measure of force, which is, the force is defined by the based on the gravitational uh, pull on a given mass at a given right. elevation and so on. Anyway, so a shar, he says, can generally generate... Now, I'm not sure. I, I see bucker. Yeah, so it's a bu- I bucker. Right, so a shar is a kind of bucker. I'm not sure the exact nuances oh. of the terms. Bucker means cattle in general. Shar means an ox. I don't remember if the psukim ever used the word shar or just used the word uh, bucker. We, we were discussing shore and par with Rob that moment. Uh-huh. He said basically a shore is bred and developed for strength and not meat. Ah, okay. But, but they're both bokeh, the same for animal. Yeah. But the shore is just. A de- yeah. So that I don't know. For and right. So that I don't know. He, he's using shore so that, 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 that his numbers will be over. But his, right, his, right. So then, then okay. the question will be even greater because he's going he's gonna, he, he's using a shore. If he means dafka a shore of, of the, the, the and even that he's going to argue doesn't have enough force. And certainly an ordinary bucker is not going to have enough force. But this is an upper limit kind of thing. Okay. If he means dafka shore, he says a single shore can generate eighty kilogram uh, kilogram force. He says, what happens when you have multiple shvarim? How does the force scale? He says it's not quite linear. It's a, you lose a little bit. He says it's a little bit less than linear. He says, he says two shvarim can generate. I'm about eighty kilograms, if I'm not mistaken. I wait. Is that all the shvarim do? Well, again, again, how much weight it can pull is going to, that, that's back to the question of friction and speeds. The first question is how much force can it exert. We'll discuss how the force translates. Saying that doesn't sound like a whole lot for a gigantic, powerful shore. I mean, I can. He can do a chin up. He, he himself yeah. can lift himself, and he's 80 kilograms. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm not. people who are much stronger than me can do many chin ups. <laughs> people who weigh, you know, 200 pounds, 250 pounds, they can easily pull. I mean, but, tell me a but if they can, they, they can deliver 80, so it means they're the exerting force equal to them. Mass minus the, the, the arms here, which is okay. So I, I, I'm not sure. Yes, so I, 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 so, so I don't, I, I don't know. Yeah, that's what he claims. He claims, he claims a shark can pull, can exert a, a lateral force of, uh, of of 80 80 kilogram force. He says two shvarim can generate slightly less than two times as much, only 1.9. He says three. The fact is a fact. I don't know where he gets it. Again, he cites he has citations for most of these. I didn't check them up. He says three can exert about 2.5, four about 3.1, five is 3.5, six is 3.8. He says, so you lose something apparently in trying. You don't. You don't get a perfect. Right. I guess that's why. Maybe. Maybe that's why. Right. It doesn't matter. You only have two. They only have two. So these higher numbers are not so relevant. Right. So he says, two shvarim harnessed to a wagon can can can, can generate about 152 kilogram force. He says, and and so on and so on. Now, how does that translate into pulling the wagons? He says. So here we finally get to the question of friction. He says, the amount that the shark can pull depends on the friction, he says. He says, A, the friction depends on the, on the material, the wheels and material used on the surface, he says. His word for friction, his word for friction is koach hachichuch. Hachichuch is rubbing, or resistance, rubbing, right. So he says, the, the, it depends on the material of the wagon wheels and the material of the, the surface it's traveling on and the size of the wagon wheels, he says. To the extent that the friction is greater, you need more force to pull an equivalent, uh, an equivalent load, he says. For example, he says, uh, if you're pulling on grass, one shark can pull a wagon uh, with a weight of up to about a ton. With, with, with a force of 74 kilogram force, he says, it can, it can pull a wagon at a speed. Uh, it, depends on the, it depends how fast you want to go. If you're willing to go slower, you need less force, I guess, to go slower, the, depending on the, at a given friction. With, at two or three kilogram per hour, he says, a force exer- a shore exerting 74 kilogram force can pull the wagon uh, at, of, of one ton. That's on grass. He says, if you're trying to do the same thing on loose sand, he says, you need six times as much force to do the same thing because of the greater friction. So he says, two oxen that are harnessed together 
can together exert a force of 152 kilogram force. Again, we, we, we had some questions on that. I have to look into that further. But he says, and therefore, he says, on, in, op, in conditions of optimal friction, again, I, it should depend on the speed, I guess, but in conditions of optimal friction, he says, they should be able to pull the, they should be able to pull the, he says at most about two tons, he says. Again, I didn't check his calculations. He says 10 tons seems to be an excessive amount. He brings the chizkuni. Or he says, finally, he says, uh, finally, he says, he, he brings the chizkuni, that they had more oxen maybe. But if you, if you learn Kipshuto, there were only six wagons and 12 oxen. And you assume that it was not some kind of uh, incredibly, unimaginably light wood. You assume it was one of the candidates for wood that we think. And you assume it was therefore about 10 tons, and you assume the Shvarim had the normal force of Shvarim. He says, finally, he throws up his hands. He says, we have to, we have to, we, we would have to stipulate a deus ex machina. He says, God is in the machine. He says that, like, like, Aaron knows, yes, no, so you have to say it was a nace. He says, just like the Aaron carried itself, so too the Hashem, the, the, the Krushim, the rest of the Mishkan was able to, to some extent, carry itself as well, as we pointed out. The Aaron knows, yes, no, so, according to Tosis themselves. With, with not the normal course of affairs. It was, was only on special occasions, and normally the iron had to be light enough to be carried by people. So I don't know about the wagons then. then that's why Tosa said the wagons were, they had to say that the wood was very, very light, I guess. Tosa's position is the wood was really light, but if you don't say that, he says, maybe we can say that it was a nace. I'll just close with, with one final topic, dealing not so much with weight, but with, uh, with gold and the quantity of gold. I covered this in a previous year, a number of years ago. I don't think I gave the share here, I think uh, somewhere else. There, there's a question about, you know, the, the, the gold in the Mishkan, we're told there was 31 kikar of gold, plus change. Where did all that gold go? So the urn was one kikar. The Torah says the entire urn was made out of, uh, not the urn, the menorah, the entire menorah of solid gold and, and its, and its kalim that, that we used to maintain it, were all one kikar total. Where did the rest of the gold go? So a lot of other things we said were plated with gold. The urn had a thin plating of gold in and out. The crushing were covered with gold and so on. The, the Mizbech HaPnimi, the Shulchan. It's hard to know how much gold there was. It was a relatively thin covering of gold. Where did most of the gold go? So a number of the Rishonim point out a good chunk of the gold seems to have gone into one thing, and that was the kaporis of the Aron. The kaporis was the gold covering of the Aron. It was just gold. It wasn't wood. And the kaporis was the dimensions of the Aron, two and a half amas long by one and a half amas wide. How thick was the kaporis? Also, not specified in the Torah. The Chazal say that, that the... That, the, that it was a tefach thick. The, the Rolbag himself, Rolbag brings the language of Chazal that, that, the, that, the, that the, the inner and outer Aronis themselves were a tefach thick. I'm not sure where he, where he saw that, but he says, he says, that can't be. So they simply didn't have enough gold to make so much. He said, anyone who studies handasa, studies engineering, studies mathematics, uh, even a little bit, he says, will realize that there wasn't enough gold to make Aronis that were a full tefach thick. There simply was not enough gold. Well, Chazal said it was a tefak, they were exaggerating, they just meant that they weren't just like brushed on, sprayed on gold, that they were actual, it was an actual iron of gold. A very thin one, he says, but it was an actual iron of gold, and not just, uh, not just, uh, in, uh, and not just an, an, an intangible uh, coating of gold. But the Rabag says, he's not dealing with the Kaparas per se, but he's saying that the Aronis themselves had to be fairly thin, because they, they, there would not have been enough gold to make a full tefak thick iron. He's so much the thickness of the boxes. Yes, he's so much the thickness of the boxes. The thickness of the kaparis that I started mentioning before, that point is raised by the tashbats. He says the aron themselves, we could say, like they're all bag that they weren't actually that thick. But he says, what about the kaparis? The kaparis, Chazal say, was a tefa. So he makes a calculation. He says, he, well, he actually, he doesn't make the calculation. He just says that he just he just ba- raises the basic question that would there have been enough gold to make a kaparis of two and a half amas long by one and a half amas wide by a tefa thick, several inches thick. He says no. His solution, therefore, is to say that the kaparis itself was not that tefach thick. Around the edges, it was a tefach thick, he says, but, uh, but, but it, had like a, it was more like a basin. It was a tefach high, but it was thinner in the middle. It, the, the rim was a tefach tall on the outside, but it narrowed on the inside to being smaller. The actual calculation I saw was made in, again, in a modern work, the, a sefer called Midos Mushkalam Shaltara, which is pretty much what it sounds. It's a sefer on the weights and measures of the Torah. He tries to calculate how much gold there was in the Mishkan and what it was used for. So he quotes, so it all hinges on how much a kikar is and how, how much gold is in a kikar. So he quotes different opinions about, the, about, about, the, about what a kikar is. So he says that there's a Mabit who he says, he, the Mabit says that a cubic ama, a cubic ama of water weighs eight kikar. 
Water, he says, it has, has, is 19.3 times the, the, the specific density of uh, the, 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 the specific weight of specific density of water. So he says, so if, if one cubic amma is uh, is eight kikar, multiply that. Mul- right, multiple, right, multiple, multiply that by uh, right, multiply that by 19.3, and you get that a cubic amma of gold, he says, would be 154.4 kikar of gold. A cubic amma of gold. Again, assuming what kind of what kind of amma you're talking about, but again, according to the mabitz amma, the mabitz kikar, a cubic amma of gold would have been 154 plus change kikar. The kaparis, he says, do the math: two and a half by one and a half amma by one tefach, which is a sixth of an amma. He says that works out to a volume. I didn't check his arithmetic either, but that works out to a volume. He says of 5.8 cubic amma, which would, and the weight would have been 96 and a half kikar. Then he says. And Chazal say that a kikar of that, that's ordinary kikar. A kikar of kodesh is twice as much. Chazal tell us that, that so the so, Chazal say yes. Chazal say that that there, that there was an ordinary kikar and a kodesh kikar. So so if if if, a, if 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 the if the volume of the kapara, assuming it was an assuming it was a tefach thick, would have been ninety six and a half ordinary kikars, that would have made it forty eight and a quarter kikar of kodesh. Which is way too high because there were only thirty-one kikar. So I'm sorry, twenty. I kept saying thirty-one. Twenty-nine kikar, seven hundred and thirty shekel. So there was uh, all the gold in the whole mishkan was only based on the accounting of the Torah. Based on Yeah, but it tells you how much Ve'akel uh, tells you how much gold there was. It was only twenty-nine kikar and seven hundred thirty shekel, and one of those was used for the menorah, and some of that was used for the everything else. And you still need forty-eight point twenty-five to fill the the volume of two and a half, according to my bits calculations of two and a half by one and a half by one sixth. So does, literally does not add up. He says even if we adopt, he says a uh, even if we adopt a somewhat smaller share, we say we we, we says he, he makes another calculation again. It's based on his different uh, sources he has. Even if we adopt a somewhat smaller calculation, he says it would follow that according to, according to which he says according to which he says the. That, that according to which he says that the a cubic amma, a cubic amma of water is only is, is only two point four kikar, which, which which is basically a quarter of the size of my, my according to my bit, it was a cubic amma of water was eight kikar. According to this calculation, it's it's a, it's a little bit more than a quarter of that size, two and a half kikar. Still, the, the gold is much heavier. The kaparis would have been according to this calculation, kaparis would have been twenty eight point ninety five kikar of kodesh. Again, it doesn't add up because there were only twenty nine. Kikar and 730 shekel. At least one of them was for the menorah. A whole one was. You're ready down to, uh, you're, it's, and you're ready down to, to 27.95. And again, it's uh, the man can eat for the. It's not going to add up. So he, so he, so he brings from, he's so, so he brings from some svarim from the Mamloes and from somebody else, who say that it was a mace. Again, just like that yeah. pre- previous fellow said that the wagons carrying the wood was a mace. It was a nace. Hashem, even though even though it says they had more than enough gold, like you pointed out before, but apparently you still needed a nace. These farms just again, Deus ex machina. They throw up their hands and they say they're simply. I don't, again, I don't know what their calculations were based on. But they also recognized somehow that the amount of gold doesn't seem to have been enough for what the Torah describes it being used for. So they say it was derech nace. Oh, and then they ask you a question. He says they ask the question. He says tarachian because the pasuk says hamlacha is a dayam. So he says. He says that the there is an opinion of Tosus. He says in Bukharas, Tosus says that the Tosus says that the that, that, that the shekel of Zav was actually much more than the shekel of it weighed more than the shekel of Kesef. So that, that that gives us a factor of two that that allows us to double the kikar that we've been using from twenty nine seven thirty to fifty eight fourteen sixty, which gives us uh, some more headroom to work with to say there were fifty eight kikar. So that was we we can fiddle a little bit. He says. Or, or he says, other pshat, he's machavin to the tashbats. He's, he apparently didn't see it, it looks like, but he's machavin to the tashbats. The kaparis, even though Chazal say it was a tefach thick, it wasn't a uniform tefach. At its thickest point, it was a tefach. But, uh, but, but he says that the, but, 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 it, but it, it tapered, or it, had, it was an uneven thickness, he says, which is what the tashbats said. Or similarly, he says, maybe it was a thin layer of gold, a, you know, a thin sheet of gold, which, which was folded up into the shape of a box. So, so, so it was... Uh, so it was, it, was, it was folded into, it was like a hollow, basically. He says it was a tefak total, but it wasn't a solid tefak. Okay. So either way, these are your options. Either you can somehow fiddle with the numbers and, and, and by defining the, the, the definitions of the units of kikar and shekel and amma differently to say there was actually enough gold for the kaparis, or you can say 
you, you can simply reject Chazal, that, that, that it was a kikar. I don't know if anyone wants to do that here. Or you can say that it was a tefach of, of, un, of it was not an even tefach. It was either a hollow box or it was a tefach at some point, not at others. Or you can say, again, that it was a nace. And uh, as we've seen, some say that the Aaron carried itself as a nace, Chazal say. Some say, some suggest that the wagons may have, may have uh, one contemporary author says that the wagons may have been necessary to functional pinace. And some Akronim say, that the amount of gold that, 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 that fit in, that, that the amount of gold that was able to supply everything they needed also involved, also involved in this.